0: to Northview's extra podcast number 209 Woo-hoo! thanks Andy for the excitement <laughs> nobody else is excited about 209 this is the only 209 we'll ever do that's right I'm excited about it that's all cool. right I'm glad you are yeah Woo! <laughs> <laughs> this is Darcy and
1: uh, well Andy let's start with you you you're just researching tree houses you said I am I'm I uh, I opened up my computer and Jeff um, started creeping. My computer. Yeah, he was looking at what I was looking at. It's <laughs> that? not me. And now Andy's stuck. <laughs> and uh, and Andy in and his treehouse. That
2: noise was the sound that that happens when Andy touches something. He is so hot right now. Into gold. That's the sound. So hot right now. He's So hot right now. Well. <laughs>
1: There's a lot so, of jealousy going on I know, on right? Yeah. So at any rate, what came up on my computer was tree houses. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a shout out here for treehousesupplies.com. It's a pretty great <laughs> website. Our new sponsors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, at any rate, yeah, I'm building my kids a tree fort, man, this what? summer. Nice. Oh, nice. Yeah. Do you have a big enough tree? I do. I have a big oak tree and then this Company built special yellow, software. Yellow special, software. special gear to be able to build a tree fort that allows the tree to continue to grow. What? Doesn't hurt it. What?
2: Wow. what? Yeah, but you they grow so eco friendly What, what I, can't you do? Now you're a botanist. <laughs> <laughs> what can't you do? So can I
3: tell you I was at Costco yesterday in the United States of America. And uh and I, when I was oh, at that Costco, across the, the border. When there. I was at Costco, uh, uh, they were selling organic dirt.
1: What? Are you kidding me? That's they, were not,
0: se- they were selling that's orga- something great organic
2: buying. dirt. It was a seasonal thing. <laughs> organic dirt. How, how do you know if it's safe to use? I. I uh, you need the classification.
0: Organic dirt. Yeah. How do you make organic dirt? They wash it. I think what you do to get <laughs> organic
3: dirt is you go out into the back of your property and you take a shovel
2: and you dig up the dirt. <laughs> and,
3: and you, you put it, put in, it in a bag. bag.
2: And then you sell it for 50 bucks. But before you do that, you have to pay... Someone to come in and certify it that it's organic, so you can That's sell right. it. Yeah, this is dirt. But that dude's on—he's high.
3: <laughs> <laughs> Seriously? Yeah, it was funny. Organic wow. dirt. <laughs> wow. What has the world come to? I'm sure there's a re- somebody out there will probably write to me and let us know what constitutes organic dirt—the organic part of the dirt. Do you think anybody
0: will care enough to write? No, in I it? would be interested <laughs> to know because we here we are really making be fun, here we
3: are fun making fun of the organic dirt. And maybe maybe there is a dirt that is non-organic. Do you eat
1: organic food? I eat aspartame. <laughs> <laughs> I, You know what? I can't Thank get gum organic. without aspartame anymore. So I just decided, you know what? You're going to embrace it? I'm going to embrace it. What's wrong with it? It's all good. Bring on that rat poison. Yep. It's not rat poison. Oh
3: it is. It isn't such a <laughs> internet conspiracy. Oh conspiracy. yeah, look at like you, you, you all the diet coke you drink. Yeah. just has his Twitch
1: coming back again. I tell you, probably nobody here consumes more aspartame than you. No,
3: do. dude, I d I am I'm listen, if it causes something in laboratory rats I wanna see.
2: You're king aspartame. <laughs> right. No kidding.
0: Well, Andy's here this morning. Good to be with you. Greg is here. Hi. Ezzy, I'm here. Jeremy, good morning. And Jeff, good morning, Darcy. Thanks, Jeff. And we got a bunch of questions to get through. All right. So if you have any, added, fire any more questions, please send them to extra at norfu.org and we will answer them. To help get ready for this question, Jeremy, I need you to look up 1 Samuel 16, 21 to 23. And uh, Ezzy, if you would look up 1 Samuel 17, 21. To 18.2. Well, Whoa. So, the question is, um, well, let's get you to read that passage Oh, Kyle's first. here. Oh, wait. Kyle hey, just entered. Thanks
1: for being on time, Kyle. Is it, this is unlike Yes, we're recording, Kyle.
0: Oh, yes. good. Yes. <laughs> That's Kyle, why the... you're
1: being mocked. Kyle, this is so like you. It feels like <laughs> Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. you ever watch that show? And Mr. Rogers comes on in. Oh, it takes off his sweater? Yeah. His cardigan?
0: Okay, where we go? Okay, All right. Kyle, you need to make sure you're closer here so we're equidistant from the microphone.
4: So I can snug up next to Andy and Greg. Yeah. yeah. Nice.
0: <laughs> you still got your uh, treehouse on the computer there? No. Is no. that your work computer? No, you're come on. come on.
3: I'm going to guess, even before I, I, I've read the first one, I'm going to guess this question has to do about the harmful spirit from God. Nope. Oh,
5: but there now, is a question right coming up that about up. that. But... <laughs>
0: Okay, so, Jeremy, read First Samuel sixteen twenty-one
5: 21-23. Okay. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played <coughs> it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well. And the harmful spirit departed from him. Okay,
0: in First Samuel seventeen twenty one to eighteen two. Oh, that is a long passage, dude. We'll be here forever. Okay, well, let's not read that one then. Yeah,
6: basically, it's, I mean, I can summarize the story. The story is pretty much this is um, this is David and Goliath story, and so from twenty one, yeah. the twenty one, this is now they are just about to fight. David shows up and is uh, wondering why the goliath is there taunting the nation of israel and why israel freaked out and yet uh, the lord is with them and david is just trying to figure out what's going on his brother gets upset with him uh david is brought to saul because someone tells saul hey is this young man asking this question saul wants to give david his armor can't fit David. David just goes as he is with his staff. He goes out, stones him, stones him, cuts he his dies. head off. Mm-hmm. Next
3: chapter, verse 8, chapter 18 is basically about how uh, David is more famous than Saul. Yes. He kills his ten thousands, but Saul only kills his thousands. Yes. It's to sends Saul into the stratosphere of jealousy and
6: That's pride. Right. and That's pretty much the text.
0: Okay, so the question is, mm. um, the the listener says when i read for samuel 16:2123 and for samuel 17:21:182 it appears like there's a contradiction the contradiction involving when did saul meet david for the first time yeah. and when did david leave his father's house okay. to stay with saul
3: yeah so just so you know that mo- lo- some of these stories are the the, the author for samuel is, is acting as editor f- for them okay so so we're dealing with an oral history here so the story of david and goliath for example has i don't know Oh, I want to say there's 20 or 30 different versions. Mm-hmm. Am I, I'm looking around the table. Yes. I was uh, looking that up. something yeah. like that. There are quite a few yeah. different Yeah, versions. so there's all these different versions of David and Goliath's story. And what you got then is you got uh, one of the long versions here in the text, which I think is probably the most authentic. And there's, we can do Hebrew textual criticism to try to demonstrate that. But anyway, let's leave that to the side. You have all of these different oral history, and you have a redactor. You have somebody who's actually placing these stories side by side. In the text, and so that that explains why it is that you have some stories that sound like that, that have some introductory pieces that add that make it sound like David it does isn't known by Saul. So, for example, at the end of the story of David and Goliath, what you got mm-hmm. is David going, Saul going. So, what's going on with this David guy? Wh- who's this and guy? And it seems like in First Samuel 16, he knows who he is because mm-hmm. he's already been playing the liar out in front of him. Yes. And so. There are different explanations for this, yes. uh, but the best one that I've heard is that this is a red- redactor putting this sort of stuff together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, this is bi- a Bible difficulty question. You can actually look this up in many of the Bible difficulty uh, passages, or yeah. sorry, books that deals with, that deal with this sort of
0: thing. Is there yes. any ones you'd recommend?
3: Yeah, uh, isn't there... Oh, I want, to, I want to say there's an encyclopedia of Bible di- uh, difficulties. Is that, is that the right title? I don't Encyclopedia of Bible Difficulties. I think it's in there. You can actually just look at it. Good commentary will also give you some, some of the insight on exactly what And Yeah, N- NIV
1: application commentary is a great mm-hmm. one. One of, the, one of the explanations
6: I've heard about this that I also appreciated was, see, when, when um, David comes in and he notices Goliath stepping out and the people tell him, hey, you know, the king has said... The king has said, whoever kills this man, whoever goes fights kills him, um, the king will grant him his daughter to marry and the family will live tax free, that kind of thing. And so at the end, when David has already killed Goliath, now Saul is like, okay, now obviously I already said I'm going to give my daughter. So now I want to know this young man's family now properly, like who actually is he? Because yes, he's been coming to play for me and all that, but now who who is he? So this like is what the, family. This is an from?
3: attempt to try to make sense of of this the text. this idea that. Mm. He, so I I personally don't think you need to. I don't feel like you need to do that because mm. I'm okay with the redactor placing these stories, from different sources side mm-hmm. by side, and these sorts of things. By the way, a contradiction though, would be uh, David knew Saul or David didn't know Saul. Or something like that. Or Saul knew David, David didn't know. Mm. Or Saul didn't know David. I, I don't know if I read that here. I don't think that that's a necessary conclusion to this. And so I'm not mm-hmm. sure the word contradiction actually used, it should be used to, to speak about I this. Is it unclear? It. Yeah, but if you understand the way that, that a lot of these, uh, some of these Old Testament books were, were put together based upon oral, oral histories and these sorts of things, it certainly doesn't make any weird. It's not that much weird sense.
0: There are other places that do something similar. So a good uh, introduction to a particular book of the Bible, sometimes in our Bibles, if we have the big, right. thick Bibles, Bible. there's a good introduction that explains you know, right. how the book's put together and stuff. So that right. could be helpful, too. So
3: in the Gospels, though, for example, you, you, the, the assumption that most of us make when we read the Gospels is that these books are, um, they, they are conse- uh, consequential, sequential, sorry, in their order. So mm-hmm. it's all time-based. And so when you read John's gospel, he has stuff way out of order. But mm-hmm. Luke has stuff in a different order. But this is important for you to know is that they're they're not so concerned about doing sequential stuff. The way that you and I would tell a biography is that we would start when they were very yeah, young. Right. And then in large part that kind of happens,
2: mm-hmm.
3: but they don't feel quite as a, Obliged to to do sequential stuff and make sure that everything has a timestamp. So I'm going to tell you what happened in May of that year before I tell you what happened in July of that year. They
1: don't even tell you when they wrote. No,
3: and so they didn't the, necessarily put their name. On. So they would accumulate stories about Jesus healing people, for example, that might be three years apart, hmm. but they all fit the common theme that they're after in that particular right. section. Just because we today write biographies in a more sequen- sequential fashion doesn't mean that we are the only ones who are right about how to write a biography. Yeah. Likewise, just because today we're the kind of people who would like uh, smooth over some of the gaps between in in a, in a something like First Samuel doesn't mean that the writer or the redactor of First Samuel here is is not making a point mm-hmm. by putting these stories side by, side by side. You just have to go for what the sto- what the point is. Mm-hmm. Get it?
0: Good. Uh, Jeremy's going to read 1 Samuel 28, verse
5: 15. Then Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? (laughs) Saul answered, I am in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me, and God has turned away from me and answers me no more, either by prophets or by dreams. Therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what I shall do. Yeah, he goes to a medium.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, in 2815, it talks about Samuel being disturbed by being brought up. Mm, what kind of implications does this have for the afterlife? And are we spirits no that idea. can be called upon? Dude, I have no idea. I've actually thought about
3: this text before, and I don't know if I want to make massive pronouncements about it. It certainly seems that God is, in his providence and kindness, actually giving Samuel a voice here and him, you know, bringing him up. Uh, so we want to say that everything happens under the direction of God, and so in some ways God is bringing this up. Mm-hmm. There's nothing said explicitly about where He's coming up from, or I don't think anyway, in the text. But I, I'm I, so I'm just saying, you're you're left with a a very provocative, interesting text well, about this guy coming up. But some of you guys will have and, some insight, and out.
2: also that what's being presented here is not uh, an example of this. is a good thing to do. No, it's actually showing this is. This is Saul continuing on in his wickedness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This idea that this is not a practice that the Bible is yeah. commending in any way. And so I've heard some people say, well, it's in the Bible, so obviously mm-hmm. it's something we're allowed to do. Mm-hmm. Well, no, you have to read how is the story being presented. It's mm-hmm. being presented as Saul being another example of him being a wicked guy that mm-hmm. is obviously not, mm-hmm. not receiving God's blessing. Yeah, there's the other stuff did Saul before. did that was
3: shouldn't be emulated too, yes. right? Like Just in simple things, like he, sh- he should have been hiding when Goliath was... Mm-hmm. yelling at him he shouldn't mm-hmm. have been thrown spears at David oh it's in the bible so I'm gonna throw <laughs>
6: spears at every dumb worship leader mm-hmm. I like right yeah I think I think um what you have in 1st Samuel 28 is not something that we would say is normative where you're consulting uh, necromancers to to co- bring up the dead and actually in fact the woman who saw Goes to to try and see if she can bring this person uh, up from the grave, uh, bring Samuel up from the grave. The text does not tell us that this woman actually was able to do it. So, so I, a lot of people would assume that she was actually able to do it. That it yeah.
4: No. That's she not was, what the text is saying. It says that she was terrified. So, it's almost yes. like, what has, what yeah, has it, happened? What has what happened? They've been He's tricking for people for yeah. years. Yes. What's going She's on is now? Exactly. So, this is, so this is an
3: happening. act of God. So, can yeah. I ask a question really quick, especially you, Ezra? Yes. Does a passage like this throw you for a loop like it throws me for a loop?
6: Um, sometimes, yeah. No, for me, it, th- it will throw me in a loop because of my background. Okay, so
4: I'm, so, I'm asking. It throws me I'll... for
6: a loop because I read it and think,
4: what?
3: Communing with the dead, afterlife, yeah. uh-huh. immaterial spirits. hmm mm-hmm. Are you kidding me, dude? I live in a scientific world where we can answer all the questions by applying the five
6: scientific method, or no, the five, the you know, the questions and put everything in a beaker and to
3: mm-hmm.
0: murder.
6: <laughs> exactly. For me, as an African, uh, I look at it and I wonder: Okay, is the spirit that has just come up a demon? Is a question. So, like, you're not bothered by the spirit coming up. No, I'm not bothered by the spirit coming up. But because this spirit now is labeled as Samuel, now I'm wondering, okay, is this truly the man of God or is it a demon? Because I know that there are people who... But They'll see, part of, my, yeah. part of the reason I say
3: that is because uh, you've told me stories about guys who, yes. guys who like, run at super speeds at yes. night and throw things at you. Yes.
6: And what do they call them? Oh, <laughs> that's, those, a, that's a great <laughs> well, story. These are uh, witch doctors, pretty, pretty much right, night, runners. You, night so, runners. So if you go up to my village in Africa... There are people who are night runners and... What's a night runner do? So what a (laughs) night... Okay, to make a long story short, what a night runner would do is in the middle of the night... So everyone is asleep. In Africa, you know, there's no electricity, so it's dark in the country. So they'd wake up in the middle of the night, but naked. And then they would have, say, like a leopard... Or or a cheetah that they would have with them, Didn't that and then, to then they would, <laughs> <laughs> and then and then sorry, they'd have a leopard or a cheetah yes. with them, <laughs> okay. with alive? them, alive. Oh, okay, with them alive, with them, and okay. so they would be running at night, trying to freak people out, but uh, for the most part, trying to bewitch them, and so they would be coming to your homestead, they'd come to your property, and they would do all sorts of crazy things, like. Like, like for example, they'll be they'll run and bump into your doors. They'll throw dirt through any any opening of your house. The dry dirt inside. It may be raining outside, like pouring rain, but they will be throwing dry dirt into your house. Literally, uh, they would. Um, Where do they get the dirt from? Good question. Or for instance, I'm still say, stuck on the cheetah thing. Oh yeah. <laughs>
1: And Buck got me.
6: <laughs> and what's 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 interesting is sometimes they would have like a torch with uh-huh. fire, so a stake with fire. And so if you spot him, he'll run. And then when it's at night, so you're seeing the torch go, and you'd think that this person is on a motorbike. This is the speed that they run that they run through the night. <laughs> and for the most part, they never like or they, they would never want to be identified. Mm. So they would always do it in secret, they would always do it in the dark. You'd be walking home at night from the store or maybe from a, from a city visit, and you'd notice that this hand is beating you. All of a sudden from the bush, a hand will start beating you. You turn around and you will see this figure holding a human hand, beating you with that human hand. Now where did he get it from? <laughs> no. All was, these stories seem like fairy tales. Yeah. To those of us in the West, they do. To, to yeah. the people in the West. But go to Africa and ask you go to, runners. You, you go to Africa and you see. so in my village, you would never share anything cold with a stranger. Ever. Why? Because they believe that that's how you pass on that spirit from yourself to the other person. So even growing up, my parents, when we go up to the country, should say, never, ever accept anything. Anything cold from anyone, like a cold drink. Cold drink, cold. Nothing cold from anyone, and don't allow them to prick you with a pin or something like that, because that's also another way.
3: It's well,
0: bizarre. We wouldn't okay, so, do that here either. No.
3: So, but but what's <laughs> right. interesting about it though is the reason I say this is that people in the West we hear stories like this, and we yeah. we respond to the stories of a night runner in the same way we, story, we, we, respond, we respond to, to a this story, story like Saul yeah. And that, so I'm just raising the question there are lots of things that we could say about this passage but before we start you know accusing the Bible of weirdness let's just remember that really in the Enlightenment 21st century West, post-Enlightenment really 21st century Western world we actually are the weirder ones yeah. who who preclude this sort of thing from happening, who don't believe in spirit world and that sort of thing. So, so we should at least come to the passage saying, oh, okay, look, there's uh, there's some crazy stuff going on here and mm-hmm. that there are realities behind, you know, behind mm-hmm. somebody who's going to be a medium. There might be some, un, you know, uh, there might be some immaterial moral- realities that are going on behind that. I'm not sure what's going on here. seems like God mm-hmm. is in his grace even using this, to communicate mm-hmm. with Saul, who's being a dimwit again, mm-hmm. so should we? Should we take God's use of this means as a tacit approval of doing it? No. no, I don't think we should take God's use of donkeys talking to Balaam as tacit approval that hey, just go up and talk to that exactly. donkey. Exactly.
6: Exactly.
3: Uh, so again, but can God do it? Yes. Yes, he can. Yeah.
6: He can do anything he wants. Right. He's and, not going to do it every there, time.
3: And there is an immaterial world, and. Yeah. Yes, I, so think, that's kind I of where think I think the from. point
6: the the point you just made there is huge. To say that we in the Western world don't really think of the material world that much because we are influenced by You're our secular, secular right? yeah, we are influenced by our secular naturalism, and therefore the spirit world is yeah we don't really think about even the mm. second coming. of Well, Christ, even when you, you talk
3: know. about it, is in my back of my mind, I'm thinking I said hey, you guys are so you know so silly yeah over there. It's so primitive, right? Give me a break. Yeah. And then, of course, if I'm walking late at night and someone hits me with a hand and he's running like he's on a motorcycle, I'm like, oh, ah, what's going oh, on? What? He must be on a so motorcycle. So does that
0: freak you out, like if that happened to you, or would you go, "Yeah, night runner? No, <laughs> see, no, no,
6: actually, actually, in Africa, that would freak out most of the people. Oh, yeah. It would freak out most people in Africa where there was a night runner who was caught and then was identified. <laughs> and the rule is, if you if you catch a night runner and you identify, you reveal his identity. Chances are someone in your family will go insane. And these are things that have actually happened in my village where there were people who I knew were totally sane and they are not. And it was not, yeah, they revealed the identity of so-and-so. Mm. So it leaves you wondering, hmm, is this true or is this fake? Oh, brother, it is alive and well. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. Yeah. Mm. I thought you grew up in the city. Ah, but uh, yes, I grew up in the city but we'd have to go up country to visit Uh. grandparents and all that. So if you ask me, where am I from? I'm not from Nairobi, the capital, though I was born in Nairobi. I'm from the western part of Kenya because that's where my ancestors are. Mm. Yes, sir. Um, Can I ask a question?
2: Hmm. Like, do they have access to the cheetahs, or where? Like, <laughs> do they? Back, where do they? The do they catch Greg's them? Greg's
3: wondering if he can actually go to that place where the cheetahs are. <laughs> See, I'd,
2: I'd be I, naked.
6: Okay, I saw him run let's, today. Let's, let let he he ain't a no night runner. Runner. Okay, let's put it this way. Let's put it this way. In Africa, with a lot of witchcraft. Yeah. So I give you an example. Tamara has never been to my village. Right. To Your where wife? my dad? Yeah, my wife. To where my dad actually comes from, because if. If I take her to see a specific aunt of mine, she would have to enter into a hut that has no windows, just a door. And so you just sit there, and it's dark inside, and my aunt will be so excited because she wants Tamara to meet someone. And so Tamara might sit there for two hours, three hours even. And then before you know it, a long snake will come creeping from the corner. You'll see it coming and then it'll walk around, crawl around the edge of this room And then walk out. And then once it leaves, she'll be coming so excited. Did you meet? Did you say hi? Do snakes walk there? Oh, no, it'll crawl. (laughs) It'll crawl all all along the wall, and then it'll crawl out. And then once it leaves, she'll come really excited. Did you meet this person? They would feed it. They would do all sorts of things. They'll paint it. Because it's not the snake. It's the spirit inside the snake. I gotcha. Yes. So it's this, uh, the cheetahs or the leopards. Of these wild animals it's more the spirit in them
0: okay the this, spirit the of like ancestors no, like no, in ghana no, no. the Nobody. spirits of their ancestors they think the monkeys think demon okay yes think demon so so when this was written mm-hmm. and this story happened in first samuel would would that have been a weird thing back then, or would it have been to well, the people like, that? The, well, yeah"? Well, I'm just saying it. that
3: the worldview of the scriptures is more like the worldview of the rest of the world than yeah. it is from Enlightenment Western culture. We we we're so arrogant, our Enlightenment Western society. We think mm-hmm. that we know it all and we've discovered all this stuff. And what's What's funny to me, honestly, in times I've had conversations with Ezra and other people from backgrounds like him is they giggle at us because we're, <laughs> mm-hmm. so you guys, we, you don't believe in a, any kind of spiritual realities. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay.
6: But you know what is interesting? What's interesting is this, when you find a Westerner who now goes to the countryside in Africa, they come back with eyes open wide, wow, based on some of the things they've actually seen and experienced right. there. So once you once you immerse yourself there for three weeks, four weeks, Ah, you walk away with a changed view. I'm just
3: saying that that's the way the world. That's yeah. the way that the world has thought forever. Yes. Like that's the way the world has thought, and people in the West have called that primitive and uncivilized. And now we live in a civilized world where we have no need for mythology, and that's the language they would use for that sort of thing. Um, I, I don't, I don't, th- I don't think that the naturalistic worldview explains. The experience that I have and the experience that other people have, well, by precluding or eliminating right. the Im- the immaterial world, I think it really sucks as a worldview. Yeah.
0: So, Ezra, when you would go out to your dad's village, yeah, do you like? Are you freaked out when you see weird stuff like that happen, or like how how does being a Christian? Influence the way you, you look at that and react to that. Actually, I will say
6: it wasn't until I began studying the scriptures, having come to North America, where the fear of the mnemonic world, uh, should I say, I was, I was able to overcome. So right now, if I go back, I'll recognize that, yes, that is a demonic force there. That's a, but I understand the sovereignty of God way more. So knowing mm. that Satan is God's devil was liberating for me. To, to know that God has sovereignty over Satan, that is the biggest theological um, subject that transformed everything about how I view the world. Then, But while I was in Africa, very much a Christian, man, I would be freaked out i will be freaked out. Like, you want nothing to do with that family or those people. You want nothing to... You don't go to a funeral that is not Christian. Because some of the things that they will do there are bizarre at best. So you don't do that. Hmm. So coming here and studying the scriptures more, that really transformed the way I view Satan and his activities and all the rest of it, and how Christ is more powerful and more glorious. And, yeah good um
0: so what is the biblical stance on mediums like this is one example and saying this is not I think a Greg good idea
3: earlier is right this is not being presented as a positive thing to go visit
0: no no so next biblical question stance on mediums would be that don't don't, don't do, do it. it don't
6: do it stop it the
3: don't
0: next it. question is from genesis 6 uh verse oh. 4
4: Nephilim? Man, we're getting all the, the good The sons ones. of God. <laughs> the Nephilim.
0: I've been saving these. So Jeremy's going to read this one for us. This is a good one. The sons of God married the daughters of men.
5: What's so the word about that? The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. And if you watch the movie Moses, they're just giant rock transformers. Totally. Really? Yeah.
1: So yeah, that's that was what they were. So to there are a couple
3: right? options here. One of the options is that sons of God is a reference to those who are, uh, who are God's people, and they're intermarrying with those who are outside the. Yeah, so the line of Seth. Yeah, would be God's, yeah, God's, God's would be God. people, and so they're intermarrying with those who are outside, and so it's very, it's a very uh, easy to understand thing. They're just marrying. Uh, it's a mixed race now, mm-hmm. and that that produced this other race called the Nephilim, who were the mighty men who were fighting all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. The other understanding is that sons of God refers to a- angelic beings mm-hmm. having relations with with uh, B- women, women, and
6: as a result, you've got uh, super big people. Mm-hmm. And, and those who hold that view would say in Jude 24, I believe, Where the scriptures talk, it's Jude. The book of Jude talks about how Christ has not spared angels who were totally depraved, and He's locked them up, waiting for judgment. But those angels locked there are those angels talked about in Jude six. Okay. In 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 Genesis.
4: Genesis In Genesis
1: six. Yeah. Yeah.
4: So pick your poison. There's a a third one that maybe isn't quite as common as those. The sons of God are referred to as. Um, the kings are the family leaders. That's right. And so in the ancient world, um, kings, family leaders, the, the nobility, so to speak, they would have the knight, uh, the right of the first knight. So anytime a mm-hmm. woman was married anywhere in that area, that her first wedding night was with the king, with this son of God, this this nobility. So he would have the right of that first knight with the newly married woman. So some people think this is part of what's going on um, here, is that People that were given the responsibility to rule well were totally abusing their their power, their privilege as mm. as rulers. So the way you make this decision,
3: I think, is you'd want to know how the word how the phrase sons of God is used mm. in not just Genesis, but probably in the in the first five <coughs> books, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the of this Bible. Oh, and no. and then you also want to understand how you know how ta- how daughters of is used Men, as well, yeah. that kind of thing. That would help you. Also, you know, there seems to be there's some historical background here that would help, whether or not there's the challenges. you'd know, I'd want to see the, like what Kyle's just mentioned sounds really helpful to me, but I'd want to see some of the historical yeah. research that's been done to demonstrate that yeah. that was a common practice in those days and that uh, sons of, heart, God, but yeah. you know what I mean that sons of God, that's the idea though, yeah, yeah, but is. that yeah. sons of God is something that was referred to, uh, the kings were referred.
6: Yeah, the king That's how they were termed. Yeah, because kings were viewed as, as almost like, yeah, god figures, right. like the so offspring of their gods. What I'm
0: saying is, yeah. I'm not sure yet which one I hold. Yeah, does, does it so matter? So-
3: I don't know. I, like they, you, know I you, don't, with you don't
0: like things left undone, right? Like you, You're right. You want to know the answer. You're right. I just haven't spent a I lot of time.
3: I've, I've heard the different viewpoints on See, this. I've always been, I was compelled, I think, by the the natural language because uh, the sons of God is used of, of people in several places in the scriptures. So it doesn't, that, you know, yeah. they go into daughters of men and this mighty warriors who came as a result of yes. that.
6: See, I think there's, um, so the Nephilim being talked about there, uh, are described as giants, like big-bodied giant r- fighters, warriors. the The same the same group is also seen in Canaan when the nation of Israel has yeah. come from big. From, they're big people. They're big. big people. So then the so the, that view because because they uh, the, the Israelites find. But the what would an
3: Israelite view is big. So. Shaquille O'Neal giants. would be huge wouldn't he giant so but again yeah. what would they view as giants because i i, I think mm. that people in those days would have viewed somebody who was 6'6" six, 6'7" six, six, yes. as a giant
6: but now the 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 argument against the view that Kyle put forth based on my research has been because it's giants then it it negates the idea of royalty, yeah. like it was a royal kings were the ones who right. because how, do you, how then do you come up with giants? Right. So there will be those who will say okay, it is possible that it was angels but then okay, now let's talk about that a little bit more. Yeah. Where do you get that? Right. How do you understand the sons Again, of God as angels? Yeah. So, so there you go. It goes you back want to do the forth.
3: research, have fun. With it, there's a reason it's a debate. Yeah. it does goes it mat- back to When you say, does it matter? Yeah. I don't I don't think so. I always get a struggle a little bit when people try to connect passages like Jude. Oh, that's this such yeah. and such and it's like well, yeah, those I, I don't who know. Connected. yeah, exactly. I don't know.
6: Yeah, how do you how do you move from Genesis to Jude and yeah, just draw a line like that?
3: I don't know. Yeah. That happens all the time with people. Like if you if you argue that Genesis or that Revelation twenty, for example, talks about the millennial kingdom, then find all of a sudden the millennial kingdom is found everywhere in the Bible. If you right. believe that the, uh, tongue speaking is something that it continues into the present age, and you find it everywhere in the Bible. Like this, is just yeah. tends to be the way that people mm-hmm. often read, even though those places aren't explicitly talking about those
0: things. Perhaps this should be in Andy's next book, though, because I think this is one of the top questions people are asking. No <laughs> kidding. Well, mm-hmm. somebody's, somebody's asking it more than I, five questions were asked. I in thought, thought book. the
1: movie Moses already had it settled. <laughs> their giant transforming rocks. <gasps> Noah. Sorry, did I say Moses? Yeah. That's, That's all right. right. Noah. They're all the same. So rewind that, too, when I said Moses the first time. <laughs> I think so. No, I just couldn't remember a movie Moses named Moses. That? Moses but. Yes.
0: And the, the oh,
6: passage okay. in Jude would be Jude 6 is the passage that I was referring
0: to, that people draw a line and say, hey, it is the angels in Jude 6. Okay, really? All right. Well, let's go on to another question here, which I'm sure there's uh, a couple sides maybe to this. I'm currently involved in a college course in Revelation, and while studying the authorship of the book— I'm a bit confused. There seems to be a large debate over whether John, Jesus apostle wrote it or a different John entirely.
4: What's the What case? do you think, Kyle? Um, I didn't know there was such a huge I mean, a scholars debate who wrote pretty e- much any part of the Bible. Every <laughs> book <bum laughs> is under yeah. debate. There's
3: only a few I think that are are accepted as being like Galatians is accepted as being, being I think Paul. Pauline and and like Colossians first and
4: second Corinthians I think are Paul. Pretty much Paul.
3: But, yeah. Every other book, I think, is debated. Every book in the New Testament is debated. Just for the of sake authorship. of
0: a debate, or is there actual... Well, it wasn't historically a debate. Mm-hmm.
1: It was like mm-hmm. I
3: mentioned earlier. Authors didn't by date his... or sign their work. Well, by historically, <sighs> I mean before the Enlightenment. They didn't. The Enlight- along with the Enlightenment came a radical skepticism about religious texts. And yeah. so, as a result, the the, the the approach that you take if you are an Enlightenment guy or gal <clears throat> is that you approach a religious text thinking that it's lying to you thinking that the author is not the author right. thinking that what it contains is all just it's it, is all just um, well it's it, it, they're trying to sell you something like, it's just that that's the approach of the Enlightenment and so as a result as part of it came uh, you know historical criticism which is all part of this now and then you have lots of people who debate both the dating, Of these books, because, you know, there are things that happen in these books that make it look like Jesus knew the stuff ahead of time. But we can't have that because clearly people don't know (laughs) stuff ahead of time. So he must be later. This book must have been written later than that, and then placed upon Jesus the ability to do some of this stuff. But we all know Jesus didn't have it. See, there's the Christ of history, and then there's the Jesus of faith, and those are two different people. That's the argument that goes. There. And so it's, this is, fits within the wider framework of the questioning of, of those sorts of things. I have never, I actually have never read a whole ton about the authorship of, of uh, Revelation, but it does not surprise me in the slightest that someone would say, oh, there's a big debate about it. Yeah. I will say the presence of a debate, though, on these issues does not necessarily mean that no one knows yeah. or that the church never had yeah. a view on it. Yeah. Um, so the traditional think, view is those, John. Yeah,
6: I mean, there are those who argue to say, okay, so did John write before or after?
3: So, I, but I will say, I I know a bit of Greek, <laughs> yes. and I will say this: that uh, when I translate John, the book, or First John, and Revelation, I, I will just tell you from my minimal experience with Greek, they're very similar in terms of word choice and uh, imagery and, and flow. flow and but just the language. That's I mean, the where
1: the skepticism, by the way, normally comes from, mm-hmm. is when people are looking at the Greek, and if it looks like a vocabulary or a sophistication mm. in the Greek is different, they'll start to question its authorship. Yeah,
3: which, of course, in Revelation, because the genre is different, you're going to have some different images than First mm-hmm. John and mm-hmm. in yeah. Revelation. You know, John doesn't write but like that. But as somebody who's, like, a, when you read the Greek... This the the sophistication of it is similar. John John is not a not he's very pl- You learn your Greek on John. He's mm-hmm. your, the first guy. You don't go to Luke because he's far more intricate and, and uses lots more words than you than you know. Mm-hmm. But John uses you know everyday language. He, well, he uses just a few words, and Ooh. he uses sometimes he uses the same word to mean lots of different things. So you have to look at the context for for it. And uh, his theology is very nuanced and quite remarkable. But the language that he uses to convey that theology is very simple. And so when I've done work with Revelation, that, that I've that's one of the first things I noticed just as somebody who's been interacting with the original text that, that, that or the original languages there, that it, 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 they seem similar. That does not mean that I that that's the right answer to the question. There are people
0: who've looked at it,
3: mm-hmm.
0: it like that, too. I'm
3: not sure it totally matters that I much I was to going me. to ask, does
0: it really matter in the end who wrote it? Um no, except
3: if if yeah, I mean it says John, and uh, what's the first phrase in Revelation? Is it John and a?
4: And verse four says John to the seven churches that are in Asia.
3: Yeah, so unless he identifies himself as John, the apostle, uh, I don't know. Second there's Peter, there's a big debate. I know that Second Peter, that the, there is a legitimate debate over Second Peter.
1: In the book of Hebrews, for example, too, there's a debate on. Right. Well,
3: because well. he doesn't name himself, he doesn't even know. We don't yeah, know. It's so a Peter. We were, well, uh, Second, Second Peter, Peter there's, there's some good evidence to suggest that Peter himself didn't write the book. But then again, you have to understand, too, that, that the, the apostles used an, an amanuensis, a uh, secretary, to write some of this stuff, too. Paul most likely did as so well. So here's the thing. You say, well, why would we accept them? And the answer I have is because the early church accepted them as being authentic, mm-hmm. these books. And they had a very rigorous, because they were getting lots and lots of other v- texts being placed before them saying this is the truth so the early church was doing its duty and I don't mean like in a council I mean that like local churches were doing their diligence due diligence and trying to figure out as they were getting these things is this consistent with the doctrine we've been handed down and is this in line with the author who Hmm. is putting their name to it and so they would be doing this on the the go Hmm. type thing and you know they they could sniff a rat and they often did they sniff sniffed, sniffed out sniffed them out and if, so much so in fact that the debates that came about when they tried to put together the canon hmm. were really only over a few books. Yeah. Um, Second Peter, I think, was one of them, and so because because of the challenges of authorship and Hebrews, because they didn't have a the 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 uh, author, oh. but. For the most part, the church already had kind of an accepted canon
1: early on. That's something a lot of people don't appreciate, that this word canon means standard, which we already had a standard. The problem was is these new books were creeping in, uh, these Gnostic Gospels that people were starting to become confused with and wondering were they part of the standard. So they had this. really as a clarification for people. Right. wasn't like we were deciding what right. are we going to include into the canon. We already had it.
2: And one of the key pieces of we determining that was it was how widely... Is this used in the churches? Because right. if if there was just like one little French group that used it, they were like, eh, probably not. Because then why would these all these other churches have discarded it?
1: Yeah. But here, so. but back to that question is like, is it's important? To me, it's important when people start to want to place different authors, really, with to do with dates. Oftentimes, you you'll find this with dating, like oh, this person, like particularly like with the Gospels, you have. Jesus referring to the destruction of the temple. Well, that clearly must have been written after the destruction of the temple because <laughs> And there's a pre you know.
3: this is the point though is there's a presupposition that goes into that. That's yeah. that's my that's my argument when I when I'm saying that the Enlightenment comes with a radical skepticism about these things. That's got it's an unquestioned radical skepticism.
1: And then they're using that as the matrix in right. which so, to determine But
3: my why should you be skeptical about this text? Mm-hmm. And the answer is, well, everyone's trying to lie to us. Yeah. Even you, I assume, in your communication with me right now but that's my point is I'm not supposed to be skeptical about you and your claims so if you go to a usually secular universities and they bring up I meant when I was in university I, I took a lot of Jewish history and so the professor was constantly trying to riddle uh, especially the New Testament with holes re, like stuff like this and it, it just always played to me as being just this bitter guy who doesn't understand his own presuppositions while he's making claims about things which would go away if his presuppositions were changed. And so I'm, I'm asking the question about the presuppositions. Really, why should you be radically skeptical about John uh, being the author of Revelation? It was what the church held forever and ever and ever. Uh, why in the 17th century or 18th century should we somehow now say, well, we know better because we can see everything so much more clearly now. We're not duped. Again, this gets back to the same stuff mm-hmm. I was talking to you about. We were just mm-hmm. saying before yeah. Ezra, our worldview is... Condition so much of what we expect, we accept and believe about things around us, and we just think it's just normal for us to think that, and yet, it's not normal. At Mm -hmm. least not historically, it's
0: not been normal. Mm I'm going to end with this question here now. Um, With the mission campus now going, is the message being preached the same at each campus? How does it differ if it does? And do you sit together and go over things? So, Greg, you
3: preached at the Mission Campus this weekend, and I was yeah. at Downs Road. Yes. Uh, our sermons were, I'm assuming, quite similar, yeah. because on Wednesday and Thursday, Greg and I sit across from each other, kitty corner from each other, in an open office, and I ask Greg questions, and he asks me questions, and we present each other with our outlines. Usually, when Ezra's doing that, we do the same thing. So, uh, yeah, they're very similar. Sometimes, though the emphasis that one of us will bring to a passage will not be the same as the other person. So there are two different sermons on the same text because there's a line of thinking that that one text is, Hmm. one of us is interested in in drawing out. And there's another maybe theme that Hmm. the other person's drawing out.
6: And I I would also add to say, you know, uh, people living in Abbotsford and people living in Mission, these are two different cities. And so when I'm preparing a sermon to preach in Mission, and Jeff and I talk will have similar points. Maybe just the title will be different, but the application might be different because Jeff is preaching to an Abbotsford crowd and Ezra is preaching. Or and I'm or, also me, right? And yeah. some of the,
3: yeah. And so we try to maintain some of the freedom that the preacher has. Yes. Mm-hmm. So would I say that the same message, same text, similar message? Sometimes very similar, even that the illustrations might be similar because we've talked about them ahead of time. And yeah. one of us might have a good illustration that pr- draws out the meaning that we're mm. trying to get at, exactly. and we might, yeah. we might use that illustration, both yes. of us. Yes.
2: There was a moment that in our sermon prep this week where we were talking about our sermon, and I had talked about how all this phrase, uncommon kindness would be a good one and you were like that's in my notes already and I was like oh ah, well, now we're both going to use it because uh, I mean maybe it was said earlier in the week and then I just it got stuck in my brain somewhere and then later in the week I pull it out and I think it's my idea he already has it in his notes right. but that's a that's an example of how you know sometimes they'll seem quite similar because we do talk about it at but least other...
0: he said it was in his notes did you check? oh <laughs> well, that's
2: in my it notes <laughs> 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 so no they're very they're, they're similar and security you,
3: message what are you doing? <laughs> So Andy's over
0: here. He's trying to the hack computer. into the, some system. It's the treehouse. The side. treehouse system. <laughs>
1: he's trying to, to order f- me some free material. Somebody just texted me that our website was having some issue. And they're on. So you're going to check that. <laughs> hey, uh, by the way, the, uh, one more thing on this, though, is this summer things will be a little bit different in that there will be a couple mm-hmm. services where the sermon will be. Quite a few, in fact. So yeah, through totally August,
3: different. the sermon here at Downs Road will be different than the one at Mission. and the, But we will be doing the ones in Downs Road. In mission the following week, or I think it's the other way around. So the one at mission is the first, and then that one will be here. So basically, so so don't go to the mission campus, and then next week come to Downs Road.
0: Uh, You'll hear the same sermon. Unless you really like the sermon, then you get that one twice.
3: Right.
0: So, but during the normal ministry year, September to end of June, you actually can hear both takes on that passage. You could come
3: Saturday night here to Northview uh, Downs Road. And go Sunday morning to Mission and hear the same passage with two different preachers
0: if you wanted to Well, you could also to, come Sunday morning. You could come Sunday to morning to Downs, Downs Road, Road
3: and come Sunday night here to Downs Road again and you'll hear the person who's preaching in Mission preach here Sunday night that same message. Yeah. yeah.
0: Good. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for being here and thank you for listening. If you have more questions, send them to extra at northview.org. We'll look forward to next week hearing about Andy's treehouse and how far along it is. And also next week, um, we're going to deal with this question. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about how we could talk to either a JW or a Mormon when they come to our doors. So Andy's going to talk about JWs, and Kyle's going to talk about Mormons when they come to our door, what to do, and kind of important questions to ask. Dude, look at that. That is a tease right there. That's what I'm going for here, because next week is episode 210. So we, gotta step right we gotta step it up <laughs> It's about time We haven't stepped it up Yeah, We're out of spring training now That's right We are done Thank you for listening